0: welcome back to What Christians Believe. I am Eman.
1: And I am Pastor Dan.
0: And today in episode seven, I believe it is, we're going to talk about the reliability of the Bible.
1: Okay. Good topic.
0: Now, we both agree that the Bible is not meant to be an, an analogy or a mythology.
1: Right. Yes. Okay. I, the, the, My belief is the Bible's true. Correct. Yes.
0: So when you read about, you know, this guy goes to this town, the king at that time is this guy. Mm. It literally means it. Yeah. 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 And so, therefore, there should be evidence of that outside the
1: Bible. Uh, yes.
0: Correct. Now, if we're going to focus in on Exodus and the archaeological evidence of the story of Exodus.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Can you walk us through the basic, the basics of the story of Exodus and maybe the, some of the theological implications?
1: Sure, sure. And uh, I think we've got a good five hours of recording time going here, so that shouldn't take long at all. <laughs> then walk us through the Exodus. Just yeah, do it okay. in a form Yeah, yeah. Okay, so... The Exodus, well, I don't know what we're going to do, because um, you got to kind of go back to Joseph, right? Um, Joseph had been sold into slavery to Egypt, uh, lived his, uh, most of his life there, um, and uh, it, when the famine came, uh, there was a great famine coming in the land. Joseph was in a position, position of power in Egypt. And he uh, basically saved Egypt by planning for famine after great years of plenty. They had storehouses full of food when the famine hit. And um, that... So hold
0: on. Let me stop you right there. Sure. Because what I'll do is I'll fill in the archaeological evidence for what you say as you say it. Okay. So there has to be, at some point, There has to be. there should be evidence... Of the arrival of a Semitic type of people in Egypt,
1: I don't know if there's evidence of the arrival, but there's certainly as evidence of their existence in well, Egypt. That, yes, correct. Yes,
0: there should be evidence of a of a, an, a the the arrival and then the spread of a Semitic's people.
1: Yeah, yeah. There
0: should also be evidence of a wealth transfer around the time of those events.
1: A wealth transfer at the time of those because events. Because remember
0: how what happened to when the when the famine hit and Joseph had the Pharaoh prepare storehouses of grain, the regional rulers and peoples had to come to them to buy it, mm-hmm. sold, spent all their money at first, then sold all their cattle. And, and after that, when they ran out of cattle, they sold all their land to the Pharaoh. Okay, yeah. So there just happens to be evidence of that. Yeah, yeah. It's a pretty big deal. It is. Therefore, we should expect to find it. So what happens right. is, in <clears throat> you have a uh, there's an area north of Cairo, a, a, where the Nile starts to, the northern delta, the delta yeah. uh, of Egypt. And at some point per, per, in the Middle Kingdom there is evidence of Semitic peoples beginning to grow in number there. And we know that because the burial practices in the sedimentary layer older than the city of Ramses. In the same area that we hear about the city of Ramses in Exodus, mm-hmm. it used to be called Avaris. Okay. And there's two basic epochs of, those, of that, so the older one is Avaris. In the time of Avaris, you have the obvious burial of Semitic type people. Mm-hmm. So the, the fact that they bury themselves with their animals such as their donkeys, the type of weapons they're buried with, mm-hmm. the type of pottery they have, those were non-Egyptian people. Mm-hmm. And they made up the wealthy merchant class for the first hundred or so years. And they grow in number at that time. Mm-hmm. So now we have in the archeological record, it's the city of Averis, which is where the city of Ramses eventually was built hundreds of years later. Yeah, yeah. And in that time, we see the arrival of the Semitic peoples. And there's Do we like, have
1: dates for any of this? Like, what years are we talking about here?
0: That's going to get interesting. <laughs> so, because what happens is they're having to recalibrate. The dating for that whole region, the Mediterranean region, the um, Palestinian region, and the North African region, a.k.a. Egypt all revolve around the estimated dates of Egypt. Mm-hmm. They calibrate everything in the region of that time around that. Mm. And there's a very curious phenomenon that we'll discuss later. Okay. Now, there's a place near the Nile, a huge irrigation channel known as the Waterway of Joseph. Okay. It's still known to this day as that. And at that time, the, the, uh, the Pharaoh Amenhotep, is at, or Amen, Amenhat, he is buried there as well. By the waterway of Joseph
2: hmm.
0: and there is um, there is a there's in the record of, of the Egyptian archaeological record around his time regional rulers who were very wealthy power was very decentralized at that time hmm. around that his time the local regional rulers lost wealth and power and it all centralized to one guy Pharaoh AmenTap Amenhat.
2: Hmm.
0: now in this area you see um, there's a city, one of the Semitic cities. One of the houses was built as a typical uh, Syrian, Syrophoenician style. Then it's immediately squashed, and in its place is erected a palatial, in all these Semitic buildings in this region in Egypt, there's one palace-style building in the middle of it. Hmm. And it has 12 pillars, and these pillars are not just weight-bearing, they're ceremonial. Hmm. And there's 12 of them mm. in the courtyard. Of, so it's, easily, it's obviously in this Semitic region of Egypt mm. is a official Egyptian palace, palatial estate. Okay. But what's, what, are, what are Egyptians doing living amongst the Semitic people? They didn't. Mm. And you have this 12 pillar building. And then there's 12 tombs in the courtyard.
2: Mm.
0: One of which is in the style of an Egyptian royalty. Mm. It's a pyramid style. All the other ones are normal. There's an Egyptian style pyramid, and there's a statue inside of it of a non Egyptian person. And they depict depicted with reddish hair and yellow skin, which was their depiction of non Semitic people. Or, sorry, uh, non Egyptian yep. the The northern people they call, which would have been the Palestinian Syrophoenician area.
2: Yeah.
0: That person's got a multicolored coat.
2: Hmm.
0: No remain. Egyptian cult custom is you keep your remains in your tomb forever. His remains are nowhere to be found. Mm. There's not even a grave dug. Mm. And we know from Exodus that Joseph wanted his bones to be buried back in his homeland, back in Canaan. Mm-hmm. So, so far, we've got an archaeological backup for what you just said. So please continue. <laughs>
1: okay. Yeah. So uh, there are obvious uh, evidence of uh, the Exodus story, Joseph being there. Um, and yeah, it does say in Deuteronomy, or not, yeah, it is Deuteronomy, where they take the bones of Joseph with them. Uh, just like he wanted, and he is buried in uh, somewhere in Israel, like Joseph's tomb. Um, anyway, Joseph is second in command in Egypt. He is uh, saving the nation from famine. Um, his family, his brothers who sold him into slavery, arrive in Egypt. Leads to a uh, restoration of the family, a reconciliation. Jacob is brought to egypt as well to live with joseph and they said it says that uh, pharaoh gave them the land of goshen to live in um, that whole thing started by when joseph was alive and that happened about 70 people probably in that family including all the kids and grandkids and everything that moved down to escape the famine they stayed there and the bible says they stayed there for over oh, for 400 years um, and actually lived with great favor within the with uh, in relationship with the egyptians uh, but then the Bible says that uh, hundred, a couple hundred years pass, and uh, they fell out of favor and the Egyptians became to resent uh, the prosperity of uh, Jacob's family. And, Isn't uh, and that a timeless
0: tale? <laughs> yeah. Semitics move in, yeah. become the upper class financially, yeah. then fall into disfavor because of that.
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure. And uh, so they started to um, persecute, which uh, led to enslavement of uh, Jacob's uh, very large family. And uh, his family grows and grows, and uh, despite the slavery and despite the oppression, and uh, probably over a million people uh, by the time that uh, Moses is born, uh, Moses born an Israelite, but then through a series of events ends up being adopted into Pharaoh's family himself.
0: And then and, uh, hold on. Just to interject the archaeology of what you just there you said. Go. Um, there's, uh, there's evidence that at some point the wealthy merchant class of Semitic peoples in the land of Gosh in the northern delta region in Egypt became enslaved. Mm-hmm. So, for example, there's a papyrus called the Brooklyn Papyrus from the 13th dynasty. Um, records it's a wealthy Egyptian household's list of servants, all Semitic names.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, when you look at the um, when you look at the 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 bones of the buried Semitic peoples of that time, there is there's a few things that go on. They have what's called Harris lines in their bones. Now, when you have malnutrition as a child, your bone growth your growth plates in your long bones stop and start. Mm. So you see these ridges okay. in on an X-ray or in, upon evaluation, when, like an archaeologist would. Um, there's also a sign that the 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 age of death, sorry that's for, that's for, that's for a later thing.
1: Yeah, so sorry. keep going keep going.'t um, it, doesn't it um, in the archeo- archaeological evidence in Goshen, isn't like even the archaeology of the the villages and the towns and the homes and everything markedly different from Egyptian archaeology as well?
0: Yeah the households mm. in in Averis, yeah, which later became known as the city of Ramses right. hundreds of years later. Um, bears the burial practices of the semitic peoples the type of weaponry they had right and like we said earlier so yes
1: yeah, the houses themselves even don't syrian style yeah yes. they're they're much different so yeah you see that all over where the jewish people end up going they build these cities and you get these little places that yep. look different from everything else and yep. it just keeps like you said it just keeps playing out this way over and over again correct Um, anyway so Moses we're at Moses right so Moses is born ends up uh, growing up in Pharaoh's household um, as one of the an adopted son basically of Pharaoh Uh, God gets a hold of uh, him and uh, when he's an an old man he sends him uh, back into Egypt because uh, Moses uh, flees Egypt at one point uh, Moses is an old man, God calls him, that's the whole burning bush story. You need to go set my people, my Jacob's kids, free, because I promised Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob some things, and I'm not going to let them die enslaved in Egypt. Uh, Moses, you need to go to Egypt and tell Pharaoh to let my people go, is what he uh, says to Moses, and Moses, of course, says, I don't think so. Um, that's not going to work very well. I can't do it. I can't talk. They're not. He, he comes up with a litany over and over of all the reasons why this isn't going to work very well. And God, you, you need to think through your plan a little bit more. And, of course, uh, that's not how it goes. And God um, gives Moses um, the, the exact instructions of how this is going to work. You're going to take your brother Aaron, you're going to go to my people, and you're going to say this, and you're going to go to Pharaoh, and you're going to say that. And... Um, it becomes very clear uh, that the plan is that uh, Pharaoh is not going to listen, and he's not going to let my people go. Um, and so I am going to express my displeasure with Pharaoh in some very, um, let's say, uh, new ways. Well, like, you know. D- dramatic ways. The ten plagues, and he begins to unleash consequences each time Pharaoh refuses his request. Mo- Moses goes to Pharaoh with a request: "Let my people go." Uh, no. Okay. Well, then God starts to uh, do some things. I don't know if you want to go through all of these things, but
0: well, I mean, there's the ten basic plagues. The, uh,
1: yeah. So first, and don't they don't uh, they have
0: significance? The, the ones God chose, like the the Nile turning to blood uh frogs everywhere don't they have to touch upon it's almost like a finger in the eye by
1: god to the gods of the gods of egypt yeah some are more clear than others yeah um and some are more culturally gods like you know what i mean cultural worship rather than actual like religious worship right you know how in our culture we we worship culture yeah we worship possessions and materialism yes right not necessarily a a god that we carved and sits right. on our mantle yep. right so it's the same kind of deal with Egypt they have both their cultural gods and their religious gods and yeah and God is like okay well if you think your gods are so great how about you get them to stop me from getting my people out of your land yeah. here right yes. and so he basically just keeps asking Pharaoh Pharaoh keeps saying no and God, and god keeps God our God Yahweh keeps on slamming into the Egyptians concept of who's really in charge here yes right because this is really the question is no who has the authority yep. does pharaoh have the authority or does the god of israel have authority
0: yeah and there's an interesting thing there's a couple of things that show up um there's a parchment known as the admonitions of an egyptian sage and he basically this had been recorded around the time that this would have occurred and it's it's basically him talking about the plagues hitting egypt and they're remarkably similar to what we see in Exodus. Mm. You know, it talks about um, firstborn, or people's children dying. Mm. It talks about um, an overrun of plagues and locusts and things like that. Mm. And then we also know, there's a third century BC Egyptian priest uh, named Manetho, and he writes of the time which, theologians and archeologists will say, this will be around the aftermath of the Jews leaving Egypt. But it's, there's a record in the Egyptian records of a complete destruction of of Egypt during the Middle Kingdom period,
2: mm-hmm.
0: and that makes sense if the slave class leaves, if millions of your slaves leave, mm-hmm. and now all your supply chain is disrupted, your economy is crippled, and you're you're basically completely gutting your society, mm-hmm. and that would completely weaken you economically, and plus your whole army, according to ex- Exodus, is drowned in one shot. Mm-hmm you're an extremely weakened state, like yep. the barbarians invading Rome in the aftermath of their economic decline. Mm-hmm. You have a record of that within the Egyptian records, Manetho's uh, records, that this happened around Moses' reign.
2: Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. there's
0: question as to when that was, but it puts it around the Middle Kingdom period.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Now, we also know that from Exodus that the, the pharaoh asked the midwives to kill every firstborn son of the,
1: of the Hebrews around yeah, the time he, of Moses. Yeah, that's when Moses' birth back then. Yeah, that's they were trying to keep the population of the Hebrews now because God, God, even though um, his uh, f- people were enslaved, he hadn't forgotten about them, and he's right. watching them, and he's growing them into a big kingdom and a prosperous one and giving them lots of children, and yes. that's what's happening. And so eventually the Egyptians are going like, wow, these people are going to overrun us if we don't do something. Yes.
0: Now, th- ironically, in the in the in the record of the deceased of that period, the Semitic people had... Um, there was a huge amount... Most people died before the age of five in Mm -hmm. this record, in this Mm -hmm. particular period. And in this same period, there was something like 30% less men than women, which does not happen naturally. Mm -hmm. So when you see that in the record, you're saying this sounds a lot like what would happen to the Semitic people who are already now... We know from the archaeological record that they arrived and grew into a massive wealthy class, Mm -hmm. and then within a couple of hundred years... They dip into slavery, Mm -hmm. and then they start occurring. You start seeing statistics of their find of their of their bones and their burials and the 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 uh, the diseases they had, the malnutrition. You start to see evidence of what would happen if what Exodus says happened, happened, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. which is the firstborn's sons are in trouble. Mm -hmm. And I mean, in China, for example, women, girls were you know you're they encouraged. For the last generation, they encouraged that people to abort their females mm-hmm. in China, mm-hmm. their one-child policy. And because they just had a one-child policy in China, but they chose, usually they chose to keep the man alive.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And even within a whole generation of that policy, you have only about, it's a pretty big number to us, but there's almost 100 million Chinese men who could never get married now. Yeah. So the number isn't, you would think that within a generation you'd have 50% less women when it's only, you know, Ten percent less women, hmm. but you see an even greater gap for that for the Semitic peoples in this region. Mm-hmm. They have thirty percent less men than women, which never occurs naturally.
2: Yeah. yeah. So
0: again, this backs up. You know, this everything we're talking about archeologically does parallel right with the Exodus
1: story you're telling us. And I think that there's. Um, I, well, i think archaeological evidence for even for some of the actual individual plagues um in or at least references to those things that's the egyptian, in egyptian sage Padres. yeah yeah yep. so because it looks like uh, so the water of the nile was turned to blood yep talks about that right. you worship the you worship your nile because they were nile worshippers for sure um uh, then it was frogs and they did worship frogs um, gnats, I'm not too sure about the, exactly the connection to gnats, but um, there's a plague of gnats, a plague of flies, um, livestock being killed, boils on their bodies, hail, and uh, locusts, and then uh, darkness is uh, what happened there. Yep. So, And
0: the, there's a bit of a con- continuity with some of those plagues. Like, for example, you have a massive overrunning... Of uh, of frogs, they're escaping the ponds and rivers and offshoots of the Nile because of the blood. Yeah, makes sense. Uh, what, what, how did God turn the Nile to blood? Could have been instantly, instantly supernaturally, or some sort of disease that rots fish, and they start bleeding out right there in the Nile. Now the frogs overrun the land; they die and rot. Gnats and flies come in; they carry the disease. To they love to bite cows. Mm-hmm. Cows are always flicking their tails to get the flies and the gnats off. They carry the disease of the frogs over to the cows, who then perish. Right. And then now the locusts and the and the boils could have been an offshoot of the disease from the from the bovine diseases, as well. Mm. And then the but the darkness, the hail, and the locusts that would be that would not be continuous biologically from that. Right. But you know, again, when you look at the admonitions of the Egyptian sage Papyrus, you're seeing a lot of these types of things mentioned.
1: Mm.
0: And it's not that's not standard fare. Yeah. Yeah. You know,
1: for society, right? Yeah, so I, th- I think there's uh, plenty of evidence that um, there's this is an accurate story.
0: <laughs> yep. No, and then they carry on. Joshua is the Exodus and Deuteronomy, and Leviticus is the story of them after they leave Egypt and survive in the desert for forty years. Then they enter the Promised Land. Right. And then Josh, the book of Joshua, takes over. Right. Now, it's the fir- one of the first cities they destroy is the- is Jericho. Mm-hmm. Now, what's interesting is archaeologists have found evidence of a two-part wall system around Jericho around that time. And it was destroyed suddenly, and there's a ton of, uh, of, uh, there's charred remains there.
2: Mm.
0: And you could tell this didn't happen slowly because their pottery grains are full,
2: Mm. right? So this happens right
0: after the harvest, and all of a sudden everything gets destroyed and burnt, Mm -hmm. and so there's obviously some sort of conquest. Now what does Joshua tells us? The walls crumbled, and then they set fire to the city and plundered it. Ironically, because we know the story of Rahab and Joshua, right? This, this prostitute that makes a deal with the Israeli spies to spare her and her family. Mm-hmm. Um, and a, a German archaeologist, there's a section of the wall that never collapsed,
2: mm-hmm.
0: right? Again, we can't prove anything. I don't. Yeah. It doesn't say the word Rahab's house on a plaque yeah, in there. Yeah, not a
1: big uh, neon sign, Rahab no. lives here, yeah.
0: But you can at least see there's, there's synchronicity here mm-hmm. between the archaeological record yeah and the events of our, of our scriptures. And the closer you get to our timeline, like the New Testament, the more poignant and plentiful the, the archeological records are for yeah. obvious reasons. Yeah, for sure. Now the big question here is, the problem they've always had, is there has to be major events occurring if Exodus physically occurred mm-hmm. in reality. So you have to have the arrival and the growth of a Semitic population in Northern Egypt. Right. Then there has to be a transition of, they go from the wealthy class, the favored class, to the disfavored class, literally the slave class. Mm-hmm. Then, boom, they leave Egypt in one shot, which again would collapse the, the Egyptian economy,
2: mm-hmm.
0: and if the Red Sea drowned the entire Egyptian army, including Pharaoh, you have a very vulnerable population,
2: mm-hmm.
0: e- a very vulnerable Egypt. Mm-hmm. And then the Jews move north and start to conquer the Promised Land. Yep. So far, so good in terms of the archeological record the problem is we've historically placed the time of Moses and therefore Joseph arriving in Egypt around the time of Ramses because it says the city of Ramses. Right. But what you have to realize is that the Exodus calls it the city of Ramses even when it's mentioning events in Joseph's time which would have been hundreds of years before Ramses. Mm. So this is clearly written after the fact to talk about the events of the past right. including Joseph's arrival.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Now. The t- at the time of Moses, if the records, if the archaeological records are followed, it would have been known as Avaris and not the city of Ramses. That would have come later. Right. And like I said, everything in the Mediterranean region, African region, and the Palestinian or Middle East region of that era—the three, two, and one thousands BC—all mm-hmm. calibrated around Egyptology. Yeah. What's interesting is when you look at the archeological records of those places in the Mediterranean, in, in the Middle East, they've all been forced to have an artificial gap in them to move them to fit an estimated date for Egyptology. Mm-hmm. So now, if we triangulate Exodus, the natural archeological records of Palestine and Greece and uh, Egypt, and then take a look at the one of the dark periods between the kingdoms in Egypt, they're, they're estimated for how long they are. You have the old kingdom, the middle kingdom, and the new kingdom. Mm-hmm. And in between those kingdom periods are what's called uh, transitional or dark periods. Mm-hmm. They call them intermediate periods. If we reduce the, the intermediate period after the new kingdom by a couple hundred years, two to three hundred years, now all of a sudden, everything matches up.
2: Yeah.
0: Archeology span in the region, Mediterranean, Palestinian, and Egyptian, the book of Exodus, and all the dates of the Egyptian, Egyptian records. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So we may have to see a shift. You know, and again, this is, we're talking about Egyptologists who are non-Christian, who work in the field. Yeah. There is a debate as to what, how accurate their dating method is. Now, the, the, the standard school of thought goes with the old way of looking at things. But that's always the case until there's a revolution in any field. Mm -hmm. Geology didn't accept the idea of plate tectonics until the 60s, the 1960s. And it was started by a minority group of people who said, no, I think the Earth's crust is moving. Mm -hmm. And that was regarded as lunacy. And it was a minority view until the evidence accumulated and it overturned. Same with the Big Bang cosmology. The, The physics schools of Oxford, Cambridge, Yale, Harvard, a hundred years ago, literally taught that the physical universe was eternally existent. Mm -hmm. And that's obviously did not stand the test of time. A minority Mm -hmm. group of people in the 1910s began to say the evidence points to time equals zero. That If you go back in time, we literally come out of nothing and introduced everything, space, time, and energy all at once. Mm -hmm. It was laughed at. It was derided. It was Mm -hmm. a minority view until Mm -hmm. it became the standard view. Right. Are we maybe seeing this in the Egyptological records? The answer may be. Yeah. And if we do see it, now we have a perfectly holistic combination of Mediterranean, Palestinian archaeology, mm-hmm. Egyptology,
1: mm-hmm. and Exodus. Yeah, yeah. I think, I think if you just take the Bible as true, and then look at the evidence that has been gathered today, right, on all these subjects, it all fits. Yes. Right. If if you want to have if you want to hold to that older timeline, um, then you can. But other things don't fit. Then it yeah. seems that when you take the records of Egypt and just read them for what they plainly say, and then you you know in the Palestinian area, Syria, and in uh, where the Moabites and the Jordan Jordan is now, all of those countries the Israelites went through. Yes. And so there's lots of references to mm-hmm. that particular thing of this large group of Semitic people yep. traveling through. There's records, sec- secular records of a large Semitic group of people moving into the land of Canaan there, the Canaanite region, and, and taking over and, and actually uh, wiping out some of those peoples that live there. Yep. There's evidence for the, the, the Semitic people living in Egypt at a certain time and growing in power and being enslaved. Like All of this is all lined up and there is a perfectly reasonable explanation in egyptology but it's not the current mm-hmm. accepted version of egyptology
0: right. and and people will say why isn't there a record of such a massive event like in the official hieroglyphic structures on the pyramids and the basically the state sponsored um, you know trophy case that you see because you see a history of them conquering people mm-hmm. and things like that and around the time of ramses by the way there is a monolith in Egypt that talks about the, um, the countries that they're on, at war with. And one of them is Israel. It literally mm. says Israel and two other countries. I forget mm. what they are. So Ramses' timeline could not have been the timeline of them of he, Israel right. not existing as, as a nation. Yeah, right. Um, why would you put your greatest embarrassment... On your official trophy case,
2: because
0: mm. a lot of these uh, hieroglyphic historical uh, chronologies that you find in Egypt, state sponsor So it, the pharaoh says thumbs up. I want you to put this on the wall. Mm-hmm. You're not going to put a major embarrassment on there. I right. mean, you go to an athlete's house, uh, you don't see them. Picture of them in their knockout losses, their trophy case. <laughs> you got a wall is, full of their
1: participation ribbons, <laughs> or just a shot of them getting hit yeah. and falling down no. and losing. Yeah,
0: highlight reel is what you get when you look at uh, Egyptian sure. hieroglyphics. Yep, yeah.
1: makes sense.
0: So, so, it appears that, um, and the funny thing is, you look at Israel. Herodotus, who is the Greek historian, he wrote in the four, I believe, was the four hundreds uh, BC. Yeah, he lived from 484 to 425 BC. He's often considered the first historian in the world.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: Now, Homer would have written in the 900s BC, but he wrote in a sort of, he wrote about, he wrote a mixture of myth, lore, and history. The style of history of Herodotus, where you're telling a story the way we're used to seeing history written. We take it for granted that that kind of, if you pick up a history book about the the you know the Third Reich mm. or the fall the fall and rise of the Roman Empire, mm-hmm. you're you're used to seeing the historical narrative of telling a story.
1: Yeah,
0: yeah. Herodotus is the first quote unquote considered the father of history. Mm-hmm. Ironically, about a thousand or more years before him, we have the records of Moses, the Five Books of Moses, right. which is literally that is mm. our f- world's first historical narrative. Yeah, yeah. And people overlook that all the time because it's considered. Well, they, the scholars will always separate scripture from ancient literature out of bias. Right. They just don't accept that. But then we, we, we can apply the same archaeological test to the five books of Moses than we can to Herodotus's work. Right. And we find congruity. Yeah, yeah, for sure.
1: I think it's a really interesting that um, one of the things that the, the Old Testament, the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible are, is a rebuttal to the surrounding nations' religions, right? So sometimes people get either like, wow, you know, Egypt wrote a story about the flood a thousand years before Moses did, or the Sumerians were talking about this that happened in creation, and there's, the, and there's always this. And then when you read similar things in the Bible, Sometimes people are like, well, that's just, you know, Bible. They're just retelling something older and they gave it a new flavor and everything. Um, That's not what's happening there at all. It's God deciding to let's clear all this up. Yes. Uh, no more uh, what you think happened a thousand years ago, and how you think. Ha- let uh, let me tell you, Moses, exactly what happened, and you write it down because I want to make sure everybody remembers. Yes. And so he uses the language of the the surrounding nations' worldviews to give a correct worldview right. statement. Yep. Right, and so and how I have else no could, problem. How with
0: else that. could he act? Like if, he, if we got a new revelation today to our time and age, mm. God would meet us where we're at. Mm. So he'd use language we're familiar with. Mm. Mm. You know, he wouldn't put a scientific concept oh, way sure. beyond our capacity to, to even know what he's talking about. He would use language familiar to us. Right. We, and still being accurate.
1: Totally. Well, you know, it's because it's not, God didn't come down and, you know, create a desk and pen and start writing, right? Yeah. He had Moses write it down. Yes. So Moses has to write how Moses knows how to write Yes. right Moses is a guy who lives on this earth yep. at a certain place at a certain time mm-hmm. he has to write within his ability to write yep. so he writes about the things that he knows yep. and the and the stories that he's heard and the religions that he's encountered yep. and then he writes by being inspired by God himself within to say what God wants said yep. in the language, in the place at that time yep. that this is writing is happening. Yep. It makes total sense. Of course he's going to talk about the things that everybody's talking about.
0: Yep. And then, I mean, like, the, the flood story is one of the most universal stories yeah. in, in the world. Every, and just because
1: somebody wrote about it 500 years before Moses sure. does not make anything Moses said untrue. Correct.
0: Because right? the, the, all peoples clearly carry, because the, the Aborigines in Australia... The indigenous in North America, the Chinese, everybody on Earth has a flood story. Now, if we take the flood story as, let's say, on, as hypothetically, we'll take the flood story as a fact, which mm-hmm. means you believe it is a fact.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Moses or Noah survives the flood. They begin repopulating the Earth. Mm-hmm. Um, you're gonna one of the one of the number one stories you'll tell your grandchildren as they sit on your lap is the flood. Yeah. Don't do that again,
2: because
0: yeah. God. You know will get angry mm-hmm. they take that with them on their migratory patterns across all of earth and like the telephone game the the details get muddled mm. you know the, the error, error corruption comes in right. but there's a there's clearly a flood account being carried sure. around all the earth so when you have the the um, genesis version of the flood story mm. you have a very specific amount of detail given
2: mm-hmm.
0: and yes if God is meeting with Moses in the Tent of Meeting as a friend meets with a friend, like it says in Exodus, then can he not give you up-to-date information,
1: Sure, right? And the, the point of it is is not so much the details of, okay, exactly how did this work, what does it mean the fountains of the deep broke open, and did it really rain for forty days and forty nights, and how, how did this all happen, how could the waters cover the earth? Oh, those are all interesting, mm-hmm. and I'm sure God has told us the truth about all of those things, but the real thing He was giving Moses to tell people was why. Why was there a flood? Yep. Right. That's the point. It wasn't a battle between the deities, and it wasn't an accident. Right. There was a purpose for what happened, to Moses. Yep. Let me tell you what that was. Yep. Right. So that was that's why the correction is needed and given. Yep. is not just everybody agrees. Okay, there's a flood, and God goes, okay, this is what happened. But here's why. Here's what I was doing in this. Here are the players in that story that I was talking to and interacting with. Here's the reasons why this happened. That's the thing that the Bible brings to the story.
0: Absolutely. No, I mean, again, my whole, whole, some people's passion when they become believers is worship music. That's where we get worship people from. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: My passion ever since I've become a believer is to to see, appreciate, and communicate the rationality of our faith. Mm -hmm. Um, That's just the way God made me. And I just, to me, uh, I can't remember who said this. You probably remember. The heart cannot rejoice in what the mind rejects.
1: Mm. Who said that again? You did. I think you said that. No, no, but I'm quoting somebody. (laughs) I don't know.
0: And and that, I very much vibe with that. Like, once you start to see in archaeology, in history, in in science, you start to see that what we're being, what, the, the, the details we're given in our scriptures are the truth, mm. right? Because a, a worldview, for it to be the correct worldview, has to be externally consistent with the outside world, mm. or else it's just its own story. You know, mm. uh, Norse mythology says that the, the when we look up at the sky, we're looking at the inside of a dead giant skull, and the clouds are the remains of his brains. Mm. Pretty sure we can lay that one to rest. Yeah, yeah. But when you go to the scriptures, the Judeo-Christian scriptures, and you try and say this is mythology, that's—I'm all fine for people trying to do that because I want to know that what I believe is the truth all the way down the line,
2: Mm -hmm, mm
0: -hmm. and that's my joy and that's one of my joys in life. It's not just to know what the scriptures say and to commune with God, but it's to express. To, all other, to, to, to me that emboldens Christians. Mm-hmm.
2: To mm-hmm. know
0: that what you're believing is true makes it easier to obey it when the going gets tough, mm-hmm. when mm-hmm. the pressure's on, which yeah. us Western Christians have never felt real pressure for being Christians. We're, mm-hmm. We are the weakest Christians in history
2: mm-hmm.
0: just because we've never been tested. Mm-hmm. And as we might be going down into times that we think we're going into, pot- potentially, of extreme testing,
2: mm-hmm.
0: we're gonna need to know that we're not Relying on mythology or just a tale, a good fo- f- a set of fables. Right, yeah. This is God's revealed wor- word about the real world. The world to come, the world that was, the world that we're in. Right. And that is the purpose of these
1: podcasts. <laughs> yeah. It's uh, Everything in the Bible is so logical, right? When you, it, it, Even the things that people say, oh, that doesn't make any sense. When you actually sit down and explain... Everybody, oh, okay, that makes total sense, right? Even your thing about the city of Ramses was actually another name when actually the Israelites were there, right? And Moses called it the city of Ramses. Well, that makes total sense because he uses the language that people know today. He doesn't use an arcane name because I grew up in uh, Southern Ontario in a little town called Kitchener. Well, you know, 20 years before I was born or 30 years before I was born, it was called Berlin. Well, just a right, real and quick
0: note on that is Moses, the, the later editions of... If, if the city of Ramsey is not the city of... Because it wouldn't have been the city of Moses' time either. It would have come a couple hundred years after... At least a couple hundred years after Moses. So the injection of the city of Ramsey's detail would have to have come from later editions of Moses' work.
1: Yeah, well, that's the, the point is um, Moses didn't necessarily write every single thing right. in the first five books of the Bible there's, it's obvious that Joshua collected some of it and yeah. wrote some of it as well and we do not know who Moses had in his collection that he added into there's some people that even say that Moses had in his possession writings of Adam to make some mm-hmm. of the Genesis story Correct. from right so we, we, there's so many things we don't know it all becomes not a problem if we just realize that language is just usually pretty logical yeah. and, and uh, the same, and we would use words that mean things to us today. Yep. not things that were called a different name 50 years ago because then everybody's like, what are you, what are you talking about? I don't know that place. yeah, right So you, people just talk plainly. Yep. And the Bible is so much um, like that once you start um, realizing it. I wanted to just tell you that um, here's a second Peter. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths, right, when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty, right? It goes on from there. Mm. That's the thing. We're, the whole point, this isn't a myth. It can't be a myth or it's not God's word. Exactly. Right? So when I tell people I believe the Bible and they think I I just believe in Aesop's fables, mm-hmm. You can believe that, but yeah. that is not what's happening here. These are not myths These are not claimed to be missed. These are claimed to be truth, just like any other historical, archaeological book claims to be.
0: And Paul said, if Christ did not physically rise from the dead,
1: mm-hmm.
0: we of all people are most to be pitied.
1: Yeah, because we're believing a lie then. Correct. <laughs> right? And there's no hope. Correct. Yeah.
0: So, Well, thanks for joining us. That'll wrap up this session. Join us next time. Thank you very much. Bye.